0: Hey everyone, this is the Let's Talk About Initiative. My name is Devin Kumar. This is the Let's Talk About Piano episode with guest speaker, Tiffany Poon. Before we get into this episode, I just wanna briefly ask you all to please consider going to letstalkaboutofficial.com and purchasing the Let's Talk About Piano shirt. The $5 of each shirt sold is actually donated to Tiffany's own nonprofit called Together with Classical, which basically sets up funds to be donated to music-related endeavors, as well as its own kind of podcast component with Tiffany as a host and various guest speakers ranging from professional musicians all the way to just everyday listeners. So kind of the goal is to create this platform to increase the awareness, conversation, and support of classical music. So please consider purchasing a shirt. They're $17. They're 100% sustainably sourced cotton. They are red this time versus the previous black shirts and it means so much to me. it means so much to Tiffany it means so much to this initiative. So once again, let's talk about official.com please buy the shirts, Instagram at let's talk about official please follow me and if you have any questions or whatever, feel free to email me at let's talk about initiative at gmail.com. So thanks so much for listening and let's get into the episode. Hey everyone, this is the let's talk about initiative. My name is Devin Kumar. This is the uh, episode on piano. I wanted to introduce Tiffany Poon, who is a classical pianist. She has a nonprofit called Together with Classical. She also has a YouTube channel, and uh, I've been following her for a couple of years now. She's one of my favorite pianists, actually, and uh, I have modeled a lot of my planks off of her own playing style. But without further ado, thanks for joining me, Tiffany.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, like we were talking about before, we were on air. Like, it's on- an honor to have you on here. You know, I think it kind of goes for what you believe in to be on here. And it's really cool. So I want to let you give a chance to introduce yourself and some of your experience and your journey with piano up until now. So this initiative, it's not an interview of the guest speakers, it's more of an interview on the subject. So a piano. So what i like to do is give the speaker uh, a chance to establish some like rapport uh, behind like why they are qualified to talk about piano. So uh, do you kind of want to just go into your experience with piano up until now?
1: Why am I qualified? Well, I have no idea why of all of the millions of pianists in the world, you chose to have me on as the prime example of piano or <laughs> the spokesperson for piano, but I'm honored. So I've been playing piano since I was four. Holy cow, did I just realize I've been playing for 20 years? Wow. Something like that. <laughs> nice. Somewhere around four or five, I started playing the piano. I was born in Hong Kong. I currently am in New York. I studied... For a really long time in New York, I went to Juilliard pre-college. I got accepted when I was eight, and then I had to learn a year of English before I moved. So I've been in New York since I was nine. And uh, after the pre-college of eight years, I studied philosophy at Columbia while also being in the Columbia Jewelry Exchange program. So I got to study with some really amazing teachers like Menowax. And so, yeah, that's my background. And I've been performing. But (laughs) such an awkward question for me to say <laughs> what are my qualifications i feel like everyone knows or just uh they, they can read it i don't think it's very interesting to list off my so-called accomplishments in life it's a bit weird so
0: well you're you're, you're humble <laughs> we'll get a chance so to nervous. Uh, so, yeah sorry we'll, we'll, we'll get a chance to uh talk <laughs> about like where people can meet you to read more about you so yeah let, let's get into the gushing here So with the large barrier to entry that the instrument piano is, how can someone who wants to get into piano reduce these barriers as much as possible just with like lessons? And even the piano is like such an instrument, expensive instrument. I know you've talked about this in the past.
1: Well, actually, I had a question about your question, if that's okay. What do you mean by barriers?
0: Yeah, so um, I guess like, so if someone wants to learn or play the piano, they have to like buy a piano. So like an acoustic piano, you know, it's at least a, a couple grand or like a keyboard is a several hundred dollars. So there's that as well as like paying for lessons. So that's kind of like a barrier where maybe a sport, like if someone wants to get into soccer, they can just buy a soccer ball and they can just like start playing with some friends. So it, it's kind of like maybe even relative to other instruments, like a guitar is kind of, a, you can buy a entry-level guitar that's cheaper than like an entry-level piano. So I would say relative to other instruments, the piano has like a larger barrier to entry into kind of getting into it. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, I, I think what you're asking about is straight up the most complicated issue, which is the financial aspect, right? Because yeah. when you mention soccer, yes, anyone who wants to play soccer or football, whatever they're in the UK, they can just buy a ball and kick it around. But that doesn't necessarily mean that they would be playing the World Cup. So I think that's kind of similar with any instrument that you pick up. It's what are your expectations going in? Are you there to just kick around the ball in the backyard kind of playing the piano or playing whatever instrument it is. Or are you really striving towards playing at Carnegie hall, which I guess would be kind of like playing at the world cup. I don't know anything about soccer. So that's as far as I will go in with this analogy, but that's just what I thought about when you mentioned soccer. Um, I started off on a toy piano and I had that piano when I was two or three and I was obsessed with it for many many years and well not many years but for a good hours like two hours a day I would just play on it for just four keys so what it all started was just my passion or just curiosity I mean it's a young age to have a passion at the age of two but I was just curious about the music and I was very lucky that my parents obviously had the means to buy a piano for me, but it wasn't, you know, a Steinway grand piano at the age of four or five. I at least had the minimum to a certain extent to have a piano and have access to lessons. That being said, just because I went to such a fancy institution like Juilliard doesn't mean that I was coming from a rich background. I actually went through all of my years of studies on full scholarship and so I had sponsors and I had people supporting me even nowadays I mean with the pandemic I as it is with many other musicians cannot make a living out of just playing concerts and making music so then I have also some really generous people supporting me throughout all of this crazy months so I think What's important first is to consider whether you have the passion for it. And if you really, really, really cannot live without the instrument or the playing. And then if you're really driven by that, I think you will be able to find resources. And recognizing that I have the privilege of at least having that kickstart in the beginning of uh, uh, Boston Upright piano to play on and having some lessons uh, I don't think that uh, the financial considerations should come in the very beginning when you approach an instrument
0: yeah yeah good point once the passion's there it's a lot easier to get things done and that also comes from like a statement of you know I, I believe that I do have somewhat of privilege as well so it's kind of hard for me to speak of someone with absolutely no privilege but that's a different discussion altogether so um, I know yeah, there's definitely like kind of entryways, like you're talking about the toy piano. So like at two to establish like your parents say, oh, he she has this uh interest in it. Let's go on to the next step. So just with anyone like even uh, our age who is interested in the piano, they can buy uh, any kind of like electric keyboard that I would say has weighted keys is like a great introduction. And from there, just to keep going forward. So I, I think this brings a good uh, transition to. Like the topic of having a teacher for piano versus being self-taught, like on YouTube. Kind of when do you recommend? You ask uh, a lot you,
1: of difficult questions.
0: Yeah, so I I, uh, I I don't like to have like basic. Because uh, you, just,
1: I mean, I think you, I think you chose the wrong person for some of these questions because I came from such a comparatively, I came from a privileged background of studying with professors or mentors at Juilliard, so. I see this more and more every day of people asking me for advice and about how to enter into piano and get started and how to have lessons. But I also know so many people try to learn from the internet and you know, the internet has so many different things. Some of it can be really helpful and inspiring. And then there's also a lot of junk. So um, it's a very difficult question for me to answer and say, Oh, you should do this and that if you're learning by yourself, I think, First and foremost, just like what I said about having that passion is really having that interest and curiosity to keep discovering music. And so if you like a certain piece, are you going to dive in and try to listen to all kinds of interpretations? And because of the internet and how accessible everything is now, you can find that very easily and for free. So I think a lot of it has to do with having that curiosity to find things out on your own. And yeah. just because I had lessons at Juilliard doesn't mean that I relied on them. And I think the one thing I wish people would spend less time thinking about or stressing out about is having a teacher and or having a certain institution support just because that's not the end goal. That shouldn't be the end goal. It will give you some resources, but it's not going to be everything that you need, because at the end of the day, you're the one that's moving the fingers on the keys. So you have to be very self-driven anyway. And I think it's very admirable for all the self-taught people out there who can really give themselves the motivation to keep on going forward and really discovering.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. Actually, there is a lot of good YouTube channels regarding self-teaching piano as well as musical music theory. I think just like any other uh, subject, you know, YouTube's a great platform to learn. But yeah, rolling into the benefits of having a teacher, you know, someone who's very passionate like me or anyone else, you know, our concern is if I'm being self-taught, I'm not having that extra eye that's paying attention to like is my posture correct? Am I not playing with tension? So what's that kind of fine line between playing to one's individual style? versus following like, a textbook of posture in playing. Does that make sense?
1: Yes, and I understand where you're coming from because this is very similar to all the things that I get in DMs about questions about playing. I think I'm a very independent person, so just because this is what I think doesn't mean that that is how everyone in the piano world thinks or in the music world thinks. Like I said, At the end of the day, it's you that's controlling the keys. So you have to take on that responsibility. And if you're going to go on developing your career in music, you have to rely on yourself a lot to think about how to improve yourself. So I do this for myself. I notice from recording myself, for example, on camera, that I do certain weird things or I do certain bad posture, maybe. like I hunch over a lot or I would have some, uh, I don't even know what to call it, but basically I noticed things that I can improve on from looking at my own video. So a lot of this I think you can achieve by really analyzing yourself. And it's hard when you don't know what you're supposed to, what the measurement of a standard, I guess, and that's why you mentioned textbook. But also I think if you really listen to lots and lots of people's playing there is a certain instincts that you can trust within everyone just as human beings you know certain things are just absolutely beautiful and there are certain things that are just wrong or just not great and if you really analyze people's playing from their videos you'll see the kind of things that they do to achieve that beautiful sound or something that you find admirable so i think it. Is not so much about relying on one person's perspective, or whether that be a teacher or an idol or whoever it is, but it's about figuring out what you like in someone's playing and how to apply that to yourself, not in a copycat way, but kind of how to use that as a example for yourself to strive towards. I
0: don't yeah, know if that I, makes sense. no, that that makes complete sense. It, when you mentioned that, I'm thinking of a parallel of like I grew up playing tennis and now I compete in the sport of powerlifting. And we always talk about watching like when I, I play tennis, everyone talked about watching matches at the professional level. Um, you know, just like I being love, able to soak up. I in, love watching
1: you know, that
0: too. Yeah. Oh, yeah, OK, cool. And then like even powerlifting, it's it's a little different because, you, you know, you don't want to copy someone else's form because everyone's like body is different. But there is something to be said for watching a lot of different people compete at the high level and um, being able to soak up those kind of common themes that help them kind of lift and and be the way that they are. So that's kind of like something that I was thinking of when you were mentioning that. Yeah, so- I would like
1: to say that it's not exactly the same when it comes to tennis, uh, watching tennis matches versus watching music competitions, because the way people play in competitions is not exactly the way it is in the music performance world. It's a bit different, but
0: I get what you're trying to say. Of course, yeah. (laughs) I remember watching a video of yours, probably, I think when I was just finding out about you and I think someone asked a question about how you warm up and I liked how um, your response was a bit, I like how you are kind of a bit of a nonconformist and not kind of thinking about like why is something done and rather than just doing everything the way everyone else does. So when a lot of people warm up, they do their scales, they do their hand in charity, but if I remember correctly, you talked about warming up just by like playing a piece. Do you want to talk about a little bit about how you warm up? the benefits you see the warming up that way versus just going through playing scales? Um, Obviously, there is benefit to learning scales, but just for your own warming up, I guess.
1: I don't warm up. (laughs) I mean, I do, but I don't in the traditional sense. And I remember that video I filmed it at Juilliard. And in a way, it was a joke for me to make that video because... (laughs) i don't warm up so that's the irony of that video oh, and of what you see me doing in that video is explaining how i play pieces that i enjoy as a way to warm up my soul and also my mind and my fingers and everything because it's not like you uh turn on the oven before you bake cookies you know to preheat the oven it's not something so technical like that i think with music playing a lot of people, because of just the how it is, the system of having exams and having grades, you think that you have to achieve certain things that are very concrete. And so you apply those things like you apply the ingredients of a recipe to make cookies. So I made that video to explain how I personally don't do specific things because it depends on how I'm feeling like right now I'm in a jacket even though no one can see me but that's because I'm slightly chilly but that doesn't mean that every day I will wear a jacket because if it's summertime I'm not going to be wearing a fur coat so it's just kind of uh, a lot of it has to do with how you feel and adjusting to that so if you're thirsty you drink water if you're not you don't drink water so if you're very stiff For whatever reason, you might want to do some stretches, but if you're not stiff, then you're probably not going to have to do certain stretches to uh, relax yourself. So it's all about being very self-aware of how you feel and analyzing what will make yourself better and uh, yeah, do as appropriate which yeah, is guess, horrible oh, right. as an answer to anyone who's just looking for you do x y and z and then they go do x y and z and will be tiffany or will be something you know so
0: no i, I think it's a good reminder the worst though.
1: person to be asked for advice like this
0: no it, it's a good reminder because it's like this isn't mathematical right and like anyone who's trying to be at the level you are who's approaching this from like this mathematical perspective is never going to be there yeah. so um, yeah it, it's it, not
1: like i want to achieve two i have one so what should i do i should add one it's not like that <laughs>
0: What's that saying? They say, like, if you spend 100,000 hours on something, you'll be, like, an expert. And, like, obviously, have you heard of that saying? That was you know?
1: book by Outlier, the okay. Outlier book. I don't know if you've read it.
0: I haven't. From
1: Malcolm Gladwell. That's oh, okay, where it gotcha. came from. It was his book about how people all spend this minimum amount of hours to achieve whatever it is that they're very good at in their field so it wasn't just music but the danger of that is thinking that each hour is spent equally for people of the same caliber mm. or yeah it's not about the hours it's about what you do during those hours
0: oh okay yeah and like just like you were saying this reminds me do you watch anime by the way
1: no sorry okay <laughs> no it's okay. It's a huge uh, passion of the world. but yeah, I'm yeah. Just-
0: <laughs> There's actually two piano enemies I want to mention in this podcast, but one that's like really relevant to this. It's called uh, Piano Force. I don't know if you've heard of that. If you ever get free time, I'd highly recommend checking it out. But there's like these two kids and one of them is very mathematical in his approach and his competitions. And the other one, I don't know, he just goes more with like how he feels. And anyway, it's, it's a really good anime and I recommend anyone listening to check it out. And it kind of goes back to what we were talking about here, because at the end of the day, the better pianist is the one who goes by the feel and isn't, doesn't take that mathematical approach. And I know with my own playing and practicing, you know, when I approach it more of, uh, by feel, I've always feel like it's a more immersive experience. And I always feel like I'm getting more out of my uh, practicing versus like playing the scale five times and then uh, doing this warm up and then moving on to this piece. Yeah, I I think there's a lot lot to say. I mean, there's certain
1: basics. Yeah, I mean, there are, of course, certain basics. Like, I had to learn my scales. So, of course, I had to play it a few few dozens of times. But that's, you know, the very (laughs) fundamentals of knowing scales and music theory and all of that. But after some years, you kind of develop your own way of thinking, okay, now that I have this fundamental, when will I apply it? And that's not something that someone else can tell you. It's not, again, it's not like making... Cookies. You have to have all these ingredients every time you make cookies. You know, so
0: yeah, I guess why I'm like
1: asterisk- a lot. Sorry, <laughs> no,
0: I'm 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 hungry now. <laughs> I want some cookies. <laughs> I guess like an asterisk is obviously Tiffany is a professional like level classical pianist, so her approach is going to be different than me, who is you know a lot more of like an intermediate level who still is working on those fundamentals, who needs to work on the fundamentals a little more actually. <laughs> okay, so and it's also um,
1: very different. I just remember. I had a conversation with a different professional musician, not a pianist, but she was saying how she does her skills every day and she does these fundamentals. So it really is subjective and it is going to be different for everyone, even if you are. I mean, she's way more (laughs) um, experienced than I am and we're by no means any comparison, but I don't think it's about the level of expertise. It's about what works for you.
0: I guess it's kind of like a journey, right? Like finding out what works best for you is is part of learning an instrument. Um, And it's lifelong, I guess. So, you know, it's you can't rely on. I guess that is kind of like a limitation of YouTube videos is and self being self taught is that it's easy to get into this like confined thinking of what someone's teaching versus maybe being a more a little more reliant on yourself, which seems like counterintuitive because you are relying more on yourself in terms of information you can access, but it also at the same time, it's like a paradox, I feel like, because then you're getting, uh, maybe you're over relying yeah. on the information you can find through YouTube. Does that make sense?
1: Yes, and I understand why I always get these questions asking me for advice, and I, mean, I get them every day, and I just feel so bad because I cannot respond to them because I don't know what your life is. I don't know what your uh, playing style is. I know nothing about you except that you sent me a message asking me for advice. So uh, it's not something that you can just get generically. It's something that you need to discover of all the possibilities and then kind of decide what works for you. And I know it's challenging to, can be very overwhelming to be in this position, but it's also something that you have to do whether you're self-taught or not. It's just something that, yeah, it's just an attitude that you need to have to be self-reliant and, yeah.
0: Yeah, well said. I feel like it coincides with your your passion for the piano. You know, I feel like if you are passionate about the piano, it's it's something that you should embrace because it creates that uh, uniqueness of yourself playing versus anyone else playing. I think we kind of touched on this a little bit, but to the passionate player, the passionate learner, like myself, like many others, like you still, how can we develop our skills as fast as possible to play some of these scores that we see our favorite musicians playing? You know, it's kind of like I'm at a certain level, but I see certain pieces and I want to play them like today. And there's something to be said for giving some of those intimidating pieces a shot every now and then, but to be able to play well and to play how we want to play them Uh, it takes time and i guess how can we expedite this time to get as good as possible as fast as possible i know this is another like probably annoying like question you get a lot but i think it it is a question that like needs to be asked just because some of the listeners of this podcast aren't too familiar with you and probably haven't heard your response to this question
1: well maybe no one has heard my Response, but I've also done so many Q and A's. I forget what I've said in the past. When I read that question, that it, it uh, irked me because it reminded me of this perspective that everyone has that you have to get things done as soon as possible, and your method needs to be expedited. But when you use the word expedite, I think of okay, go get FedEx. Oh, <laughs> yeah. So at the same time, I also understand that impatience because when I was younger. I definitely want to have a career and want to have concerts. And so there are things that I constantly wanted but was never getting and was always told that it takes time. And then, of course, (laughs) 10 years later, I'm saying the exact same thing where it takes time. But I think it might be more helpful to think of it in more of a mindset change where your point isn't to tell yourself you have to get this done as fast as, I don't know, let's say you want to learn this Rachmaninoff third concerto in two days. (laughs) It's not about the time to achieve something because with music, you can't be like, okay, I have played all the notes and I am done today. It's just not how it is with music, especially if you love music. If you really have the passion for it, you will understand that your way of playing is going to change. So you might think that you're done today, but ten days later you will. You might have the chance of coming back to it and thinking, "Oh, I can play this better." And it's that mindset. You shouldn't think you have to play it. achieve something as fast as possible. And if I don't, then I suck. You know, yeah, it's uh, about doing something that you love. And if you really, first off, is choose a piece that you genuinely love doing. Uh, or love playing or listening to and it's that passion again that will give you the drive to keep on going no matter how difficult it, it is and it's not about fast or slow yeah <laughs> I don't know if that makes any sense
0: no that makes total sense I, I know you did a Q and a on your Instagram recently, uh, and someone made a comment of how to play faster, and I like uh, um, understandably so like getting irked from uh, like a question like that because that's not, not what it's about, right? What what you say
1: it's not the Olympics. Yeah, it's, it's not the that's, Olympics. That's what I said.
0: Yeah, like, I mean, there's that's...
1: there's two things: there's learning as fast as you can, and then there's also playing as fast as you can. Playing us as fast as you can is the world's most uninteresting thing in the world. And then and playing, learning something as fast as you can is also not the point of music or the point of you pursuing something. It's not like, like some things just take time. Like slow um, Coke meat, for example. Are you going to oh, say the, food. Yeah. the fastest way? To, to, I just think it's the easiest way because when I think of answers to these questions, I always think people are not going to ask the same questions for food. But, you know, it, somehow the mindset just somehow is ingrained to everyone that you have to achieve it as fast as possible. And if you don't, then you suck. I'm pretty sure if you try to make a, a slow cooked dish in five minutes, it's not going to taste good. So that's what,
0: that's what the microwave's for, right?
1: <laughs> yeah, but <is laughs> yeah, it's it taste- <laughs> probably not the same thing. So,
0: yeah. I guess like there's something is to be said for pieces that you are capable of working on and making them the best that you can make them. So, like, taking a step back and whatever level you are. There are pieces that you can work on and pieces that you are working on, and to make that the best that you can make it, and then just to move on from there and let you know your progress be its own, I guess, natural progression. Yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah, I mean, you uh, learn a
1: lot from the experience of tackling challenging pieces. That's how I was when I was younger. I played pieces that were objectively whatever that objective voice is uh way too difficult or whatever it is for my age but i played them and i have them publicly on youtube but it's not about comparing that child's playing with horowitz or Rubinstein or schnabel you know it's it's about achieving something learning something in that journey at that time Years later, you come back to it and play even better, but that's just how it is. And you shouldn't feel bad that you can't play as well as people with 50 years of playing experience and life experience even.
0: Yeah, it's easy to get locked into this like objective standpoint of piano scores. Or, like this piece is like objectively more difficult, but like take a step back. It's and all look because at- of
1: that grade system. Yeah, this is not an attack on like oh pedagogy, (laughs) but um, just with the I think was it ABRSM or those those kinds of uh, levels or whatever, a group of people sat down and decided to judge pieces on how difficult they are, and then yeah, but that doesn't mean anything.
0: In my own finding pieces to learn, it can be almost not like a turn off when you see something's like a lower score, but. it's kind of messed up really because like this piece is it's like it's special right (laughs) but so why attach like a number that compares it to other pieces like it is important because you know you shouldn't know how difficult a piece is to get into it but that's why you should look at the score itself right rather than like a number that someone else attached to it it's not fair to the piece i guess it's not fair to yourself yeah it's not fair to yourself yourself
1: because yeah because then you're restricted from approaching something because someone else that you've never met (laughs) said that it was a certain level and too difficult for you and i know also i i understand everyone's frustrations with this kind of sentiment because when i was younger i also have approached teachers who were like you cannot play this because it's not uh, too difficult for you you should go with this easy piece and i stopped taking lessons with them because you know it's about discovering music and learning what you can do and also learning about your limitations. But in order to learn all of that, you have to approach things that are outside of your comfort zone. Yep. And that's how you grow. So it all has to do with what you expect from yourself. When, like, are you expecting to play this publicly at Carnegie Hall <laughs> or like tomorrow? <laughs> or are you there to really learn? And I hope that it's really about learning. And it's through the learning that you can really play better and better and then approach. Carnegie or whatever the equivalent of your musical dream is so
0: yeah there's uh that like growth from the adversity of tackling like an intimidating piece that's really important I-, I know when that pandemic first started i came back home from uh, austin here to georgia and i was in a really bad place i was in the worst place i've been in my whole life and i have always wanted to learn Claire de Lune. But my teacher going up had always mentioned that's too hard for me, and I will say rightfully so because I was barely practicing 30 minutes a day at the time. So <laughs> maybe if, if at, um, but I, I there was like something within me that said like this is the time to like learn this piece, and I'd always been a little intimidated because I wanted to give this piece like the respect it deserves, and I realized where I'm at in my life right now is the best time to pick up this piece. And I was practicing up to four hours a day. Not that the time means anything, but just to kind of represent, you know, my passion behind really getting into it. And and I, I did learn it. And learning a piece, I guess, is subjective. But at the time, I learned it. And I'm going to pick up that piece again, you know, throughout my whole life. But it was something that was intimidating, but I learned it. And um, I grew from playing that piece and you know, it's, it's not Carnegie Hall level, like you were mentioning, but it's uh, my level at the time, and, like, I'm proud of it, and I'll pick it up again later. So a piece can be, like, a level 10. It can be, like, a level zero. It doesn't, you know, it, it like, what it doesn't matter.
1: Levels are societal constructs that have nothing to do with the actual music. It's not like yeah. Debussy <laughs> wrote the piece and said, this is level 3 <laughs> or yeah. level 100. It, this is, like, uh, it's so horrible to... uh the music world with this kind of system and mindset so if anyone's listening i hope uh, this kind of changes your perspective a little bit maybe because uh, but what you said here is a clear example of how your passion really drove you to the piece and it's your respect for the music and at the end of the day that is what's going to make you play better or not play so well if you're not connected to the piece or connected to your instrument of course you're going to play horribly so it's all about you and your responsibility and your passion.
0: Yep, yep. I had something really important to say after that, and I completely forgot what it what it, it was.
1: Happens to me all the time. Oh that happens many times in classical chats, and I totally understand when you get nervous because I was super nervous when I talked to Midori. <laughs> and um, yeah, don't worry about it.
0: Yeah, it's like it's kind of frustrating because when I have a conversation with someone, like I'm trying to, I'm listening to like understand versus like listening to reply. But when you're hosting a podcast, you're trying to like. Mm-hmm. You're, it's like the balance between the two and it, it is like I, you know it of, is kind of very difficult sometimes, sometimes I'm like,
1: wow it's so inspiring what i just heard and then i don't know what to talk yeah. about next and i'm just like mm-hmm.
0: yeah and then it's like
1: uh loading loading yeah,
0: yeah <laughs> <Processing>. exactly <laughs> uh yeah. okay i'm, I'm just that so when we're talking about learning scratch it I remember what I was gonna say about WC I know WC doesn't mark his pedals because you know even he knew that all pianos are different your environment's different and so it kind of reminds me of like that parallel to the levels of a piece like a piece can be if you're gonna label it level 10 it can be like a level one whatever but the same with like the pedal markings it's gonna change from who's playing from how you're playing it it kind of reminded me of that and I don't know if you've listened to WC's like there's actually on youtube like a recording of wc playing player de lune and it's actually like super fast have you listened to that
1: before it's very controversial
0: yeah it is yeah it's Um, very
1: controversial because when i was when i was in amsterdam i got invited because uh owner of the museum i think watched my youtube and was a follower so he invited me to his uh little museum with these self-playing pianos and so they played piano roles and that's what that Debussy recording you oh, yeah. heard on YouTube So I know there have been some controversies as to whether that was actually Debussy or if that oh, was okay. people, but I also heard, uh, I think, a different Debussy recording of his different, of a different piece of his. I think it was like Walking in Snow. I forgot the exact French name, but yeah, he does play it kind of fast and I could also understand why some people might like it faster. I hope I did not offend WC by playing it twice as slow, because <laughs> I know the majority of interpretations is quite fast. But it just felt right to me, and I hope that DebC isn't turning his uh, turning around his grave when <laughs> I play it that slow.
0: Well, for what it's worth, like your interpretation felt right to me too, and that's why I like I liked the tempo a lot. So, um, thank you. When it, yeah, whenever I hear like a lot of recordings that are like a little faster, in my mind I'm always like trying to slow it down a little bit. <laughs> so, okay. I just so this think actually, it's so
1: beautiful all yeah. the sounds and the and the colors. They take time to kind of yeah morph into something much more beautiful. So definitely.
0: Okay, so this actually has a pretty good segue to what I wanted to mention next, and that is when a Uh, And obviously we don't know like what a composer is thinking unless they're still live, which most of, I mean, any classical pianist is playing scores, you know, that's the composers are, are, have passed away. So we don't know what they were thinking, but when they create a score, there's likely a certain, or maybe there's a certain uh, playing they envision. Uh, What's this balance of like staying respectful to the composer while making the piece our own as far as like our interpretations? How do we kind of, because we are playing for ourselves, we're playing for others, right? But we also want to respect the fact that someone else made this piece, and we want to um, respect their desires in playing it. How do you address this balance when you're playing a piece and figuring out what what your interpretation of it's going to be? Does that make sense?
1: It's a very yeah, it's a very tricky question. It's actually a very philosophical question because yeah. the debate is how much of the biographical historical information about the music matters in one's listening but also for the performer and it's kind of an unspoken rule that there are certain traditions that you have to adhere to like you would never play Bach with lots of rubato and lots of dynamic subito changes (laughs) things like that that you might find in modern more contemporary or with uh, Beethoven with this subito reference but I think there's a baseline and then when it comes to interpretations I never have been in a situation where it's my way versus a composer's way I think it's somewhere in the middle where you have to interpret okay they say slow down here with the retard but how slow does that mean yeah. or maybe they will say with passion yeah. like that and oh, I, oh, you, you weren't playing with passion mean?
0: before okay so I'll like, now I'll play with passion
1: yeah so sometimes you encounter subjective Things like this where you again have to understand it from within the music and the context of the music. You know, if it's it's hard for me to talk about it in a very generic or general sense, but yeah, sometimes okay. I feel like it's a common sense where you know what kind of sound world you're in in that specific piece. And there are just certain things that you would never ever do because of whatever bubble you're in with that piece uh i'm trying to think can you think of an example (laughs) i can't think of one just off of my head but maybe if you yeah
0: i can think of a couple examples just like in my own playing um okay i guess back to clear loon like there's that huge rubato for like the part Loon that everyone knows and i guess there's like a ton of wiggle room with how you can slowly increase the like the dynamics and the speed there's a lot of wiggle room with that and like but i don't know if that's Because it states rubato in most of the scores, I don't know if that's an issue. I guess I'm thinking more of like, uh, right now I'm working on rock, or I'm finishing up rock uh, prelude in C-sharp minor, and there's this, or like the piece picks up. I I don't know how to like describe parts of music. I'm not great at that, but I create like a pause and then a slow, very gradual buildup. And it's not stated on the score to do that, but that's what I do. And so I I think other people can maybe think of their own examples of this. You're right, it is philosophical, and maybe everyone else, I maybe there isn't an answer to it. It's I don't
1: very know.
0: tricky. Yeah, and it's I, very
1: tricky because it's not black and white. And I yeah. know everyone tries to look for a black and white answer to everything that you've asked me about, but I just find myself saying it, and it's uh, horrible as a <laughs> answering machine to all these questions because people always... Are so used to getting a straight answer that's just black and white. But with anything in life, I mean, with some extreme examples not included in this, but it's not always black and white. And with music, it's so subjective that what the composers give you is a structure, the overall things, but everyone's going to approach each note differently based on the piano that they're playing on with their hands is like what their mindset is and so there's so many factors that it's just part of what it is to play music and so it isn't the objective of someone's learning to say this is right or this is wrong because I've also encountered in the past where one teacher says you should do like this and another teacher says the opposite but who's playing the piano at the end of the day you are so it's about how to find a voice of your own within your respect and passion for the composer
0: obviously like composers understand that everyone's going to play a little different so questions i ask like sometimes yeah, there isn't an answer and i think it's important to like if there isn't an answer then just it's okay that there isn't an answer you know so i think this is like a perfect example of that i don't know if this is related to it but i know Rachmaninoff really liked uh, or, or i think it was horowitz who was playing Rachmaninoff's concertos and he listened to it and stated, like, this is how it should be played. And then he stopped playing it himself because mm-hmm. that's just yeah. something that comes to the top of my head. That's not to say that, Yeah, sometimes like,
1: you find anecdotes about composers.
0: Yeah. Anyway, yeah, I guess it's just, like, an anecdote, but... Which can
1: help guide you to think... Yeah, but that's an example of when certain anecdotes in the historical, biographical world of information can help you be better or get a better understanding of where the line is what their expectations are. For example, I think recently I read uh, in Schumann's letter, Robert Schumann's letter to Clara, and he wrote something about how she's always very impatient. And that was justification for me to understand why Clara always wrote these really fast tempo markings for Robert Schumann's music. And that I've always thought that they were way too fast. Having read that, line in his letter gave me the justification to understand okay that's clara's understanding and robert thinks that she was very impatient so i think it was about i was thinking it was a comment about her playing of certain pieces that robert thought she played too fast and in general that was kind of the sense that i got from her music that she, that she wrote but also from the editorial tempo markings that he, she put on his music so that's an example where i can say okay that's what she wrote in his music. But having read that line about the letters, maybe it's okay if I'm a little bit slower than what she uh, wrote, so.
0: Yeah, good example. That brings me up to my next question. You know, like when we're looking at a new piece, how in depth do you like to get into the story behind the piece when you're learning it, right? Because like every piece you could I'm say is a story. the wrong person to ask. Yes, I'm sorry. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you but, chose the wrong person to uh, talk about no, piano no, with no, because I, I know it depends on your your perspective on how you approach that philosophical question i just uh mentioned earlier to me i think the music speaks for itself and whatever the composer's intentions are would be revealed in that score that you're looking at oh good point. so for example schumann has a style of writing in certain anecdotes inside the music because he had these I don't know if you know but he had these two imaginary personalities actually there's a third one but mostly there it's these two characters named Floristan and Eusebius and he would sign his compositions with uh, their initials and they are very two contrasting personalities one's very dreamy one's very passionate and very forward so the set of pieces that I'm learning at the moment called David's Bundler Tansa, he wrote in, like at this moment, his eyes are teary and is sad about something or, or something very programmatic like that. So that's in a scenario where I think the composer definitely wanted the performer to think of these specific things that aren't written in the notes and the actual notes. But I think the composers say a lot in what they write in the expressive and tempo markings I like to approach from that perspective first before I l- try to look into the biographical world because I've always come from a very, I like to come from a very ignorant point of view when I first learn a piece of music. So I'm not actively trying to search for all the possible things around that piece unless it was for a specific. Assignment for school or maybe I needed it for something. But it was never something that could enhance my playing from the very beginning, from the very first point of contact of learning a piece. As a person, I am curious about the person behind the music. So nowadays I've been reading about Schumann and his life and a little bit of his, but not really about his life, but reading the things that he wrote because I always like to come from a more pure perspective of what exactly did the composer share with the world regarding his music, not about what someone else wrote about them or about their life, but really from the most intimate perspective, which is the composer's words that they wrote. So uh, did I answer your question?
0: (laughs) Yeah, and I actually, I really vibe with the statement about the importance of staying ignorant.
1: For me, it's about having us pure of a, perspective as possible and i know a lot of people don't do this i i have encountered students and nerds who really analyze the music to its parts but then philosophically speaking i don't think music is the sum of its parts i think there's something much more transient and also maybe transcendental in some way where it isn't just about okay It's made up of E major plus A major plus D major and uh, made up of these structures and it's made up of this chord progression. I think those are just system of values that we've been trained for some helpful purposes, but I don't think that is the end point of approaching music through that kind of lens. I think that's only one lens, whereas if you approach from within and look outwards, I don't know if this makes sense, it's more of like a inductive knowledge versus deductive and I guess I am inductive I forget what the proper term is you might have to fact check me on this but it's been a while since I've <laughs> talked about epistemology or been in a epistemology class I just like to come from the music and start from there rather than starting from a certain system of values into the music Yeah. Be it biographical or music theory or whatever analytical tools that one uses to each is home. Yeah. You know, it's just my way of uh, approaching it doesn't mean it's the way.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, for sure. I know like, so someone's listening to a piece being performed, they're not thinking like, oh, I don't, I, at least I don't think they're thinking like, this is the chord progression that's being played. I feel like they're more of just taking it, the experience in. Right. So learning a piece is kind of a reflection of that. Well, I I don't know, I guess either, but I guess like learning a piece and playing it is a reflection of that.
1: I think sometimes when you analyze certain things, and I've done that when I was younger, where I would be like, I always forget this spot. So I'll always remember that it goes from E to D, something like that. Very artificial. And I just think it's might help me temporarily for that memory issue, but Overall, it's not going to enhance my musical play because then it becomes kind of artificial and me applying something and then thinking that whatever that means, the chord progression necessarily means this way of playing. And it's not so direct like that. And it shouldn't be like that. I think the music did you, should be. Did
0: you get a degree in philosophy or something? <laughs> that, that was I told a joke. you. That was, that was a joke. I
1: know, that was a joke. <laughs> no, I, I don't know if it's uh, so much about... The influence of a philosophy degree on this, maybe it is. I'm just a annoyingly analytical person,
0: (laughs) and I I come up with
1: answers that are not really answers.
0: (laughs) I, I can relate to that. Actually, cool. All right, so I'll take a little step back. So, with classical music, there's a few different like eras or periods of music. There's Baroque, there's classical, Romantic, contemporary, impressionist. I think we're all well, not all. I'm speak for myself. I'm drawn to the romantic and contemporary area of music. And I definitely, I don't pay too much attention to Baroque and classical as much as maybe I should. What are the benefits of playing composers work from all the different periods of music? And I will say for people who aren't familiar with it, every period of music has a different, um, I guess, like vibe to it and characteristic.
1: It's like the different styles of painting. Why Monet's painting are made up of dots. And I don't know my, my art enough to say what the exact opposite of that, but think of someone exactly opposite of that. I think in the very beginning when I was uh, younger, and I say this as if I'm 80 years old now, but in a way <laughs> um, kind of is. Uh, when I was younger, I would play all kinds of uh, pieces based on what I liked. From listening, So I would play Bach or Liszt or Prokofiev, just all sorts of styles of music. And I think the reason why schools require you to do that, uh, like if you think of juries or entrance exams, they always have you play a piece from each era. It's for you to show your different styles of playing and show them a range of your skills if you think of it less of a way to show your skills, it's a way for you to learn the different possibilities of approaching an instrument and also approaching music and understanding music. So I think in the beginning, it's important to have that variety experience uh, from learning different styles because you develop different techniques through playing something very technical, very notey, like Bach, where you have to manage two hands with four voices, sometimes in the VUG, which is so difficult, but that kind of training helps you be more agile going forward and learning other difficult pieces. So yeah, that's my answer.
0: No, that's a good response.
1: It's clear um, for once.
0: Yeah, it's it's a good change of pace. <laughs> and it's something I have to remind myself. You know, If, if that wasn't the case, I would just play Chopin, List, and Rachmaninoff. I think that's all I would play, <laughs> but um, I'm I'm trying to explain. Yeah, I mean, but-
1: there's a balance, right, between yeah. discipline and also following your passion. I think in the beginning you have to develop a certain discipline and fun- to get those fundamentals. Yeah, and then of course you can always follow with being very concentrated on a certain type of music. Like I am now currently with Schumann, but mm-hmm. that's not to say that when I first started playing the piano, all I played was one composer. So.
0: Yeah, and I'm definitely speaking from a point of view of like someone who has a lot of technique room to grow. Um, definitely needing the help of Bach, which I need to play more of <laughs> Okay. There's um, a reason
1: why jazz musicians always Bach. <laughs>
0: yeah. Yeah. Jazz is probably something I don't know if I'll get into for, for,
1: Oh, I don't know at all. I just mentioned that because uh, Bach is the fundamental way of getting certain techniques. And before you break the rules, you have to learn the rules. So that's the case with jazz. And it's also uh, when you think about the balance between discipline and passion.
0: Yeah, actually, when I first joined this piano club here at Georgia Tech, the person that I, I was talking to when I first joined it, she actually she comes from Turkey, I believe, and she mentioned, because I asked her a similar question that I was asking you about the interpretations and the balance between playing true to score and your own interpretation, and she mentioned the same thing, you know, you have to know what the rules are uh, in order to break them, so good point. Okay, I think we're at the latter end here. A couple things here. One thing that, when we play the piano, we're playing for ourselves, but in a lot of instances, like, we're performing for others, so I guess just kind of surface level, do you have any kind of tips... I don't know if you hate that word by now, but in how to get better at performing for others. I mean, obviously, like, you can perform for others more and you'll get better at it. But personally, when I'm playing by myself and no one else is around, it always sounds better than if someone's in front of me. And I don't know if you can relate to that. I'm, I'm With your experience, um, you know, playing in front of others, that's, I'm sure that's diminished quite a bit at this point. But what, what I guess, do you have anything to say for that?
1: Mm, it's kind of the opposite for me, where I think I play better when I'm in audience in front of an audience oh, okay. but that might just be the fact that we've been in lockdown for however long it is yeah two, so you know i live in a studio so the only audience i have are possible neighbors and i recently discovered that there is a dog above me so it's not very i don't put as much energy into it somehow i mean yes when i record and maybe when i do live streams it's like that but yeah. it's very different of an environment you were asking for tips for what exactly to play um, just, better. Just, or?
0: so i guess we can talk about like performance anxiety and front of others i've had an issue of like just all of a sudden forgetting the notes that i'm playing or um, making mistakes i guess how can we become a better performer
1: well i know it's really annoying to say this and to hear this but after each time you learn from the experience and you will get better and better so that's already the most basic personally i am very aware of what triggers my memory spots or my nerves oh, okay. and it's again about taking responsibility for how you are, whether how you are learning a piece of music, how you stay motivated, how you set the goals for yourself, but also when you're playing, it's nothing has changed really in terms of the fact that your brain still controls your fingers, right? Mm -hmm. So that should remain the same, and it's about how to get rid of the external factors, be it a scary person watching you with a pencil and the score ready to scratch away when you make a mistake, or when you're playing in front of a hundred people or thousands of people. So it's important to develop your own bubble. Remind yourself that you're playing it because you enjoy music and you are in control and that's one thing that it's hard to say what exactly that means but it's a lot of it is psychological yeah. it's a psychological game mind, it's a mind game just like with tennis i've learned uh, you know it's a um, mind game and that's 90 percent of the influence over your playing it's your mindset yep. if you're anxious you're going to sound anxious so do you want that probably not so that you have to figure out a way to remind yourself okay I should be as relaxed as possible so that I can play as best as I can and really telling yourself that you're in control and not so easily influenced by the external factors because then you're not really giving yourself all the credit. You're allowing someone else to control how you are.
0: Yeah, those are good personal affirmations to have, good reminders.
1: But it's, I mean, it's scary in the beginning, I know, because uh, I've been in situations where I would have memory spots Or I would uh, mess up in front of very public events. Or I would, I think for some time, when I was younger, my feet would shake a little. And I couldn't really understand why. So it's all in the mind. It's about having that self-confidence, which I still don't have. (laughs) But it's something that you develop and get used to that nerves some have said that it's just it's going to be with you it's not like you take a painkiller and the pain goes away so you take a nerve killer and <laughs> everything will be fine unless you're on uh well we don't want to talk about recreational drugs but i imagine that
0: not not in this be, episode <laughs> <pretty
1: quick ones. laughs> but um again it's about telling yourself that you're in control
0: yeah and it's just kind of like a vicious cycle like the more passionate you are about it the more you take pride in how you're playing sounds. So, the more you're concerned about how it's going to sound and having those kind of personal affirmations as reminders helps too. Um, but learning from the experience and messing you up and learning more about yourself and how that happens, I guess, helps as well too.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think it's a don't be so hard on yourself, although I find that highly ironic coming from me because I criticize myself <laughs> so much uh, publicly and also privately. So, I. Do you think it's important to tell yourself that you're in control? Yeah, sometimes definitely. you you want to just say that, uh, no, I wasn't playing so well because of something. But mm-hmm. it's all about how you react to something. So at the end of the day, it's you that's playing and controlling everything. At sure. the piano at least.
0: A common theme in this episode is like, you know, it's it's you that's playing. So to remind yourself that
1: Yeah, I've said that way too many times. I'm sure people have clicked off by now. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, no
1: give uh, us a clear answer
0: <laughs> no no I, look, I, I I don't like like basic questions basic answers right because if you're looking for that there's enough information out there so I, I like
1: maybe but I really also cool. understand how unsatisfying it is to hear things like this because then it, it's like oh we don't want a philosophical discussion or a psychological <laughs> discussion but playing as it is with so many things that's um 90% psychological
0: definitely okay so Before we like wrap up here, there's two of the initiative's themes are mental health and social justice. So I like to tie that in to every episode whenever applicable. This is more directed at you rather than piano as a whole. Being, you know, a professional classical pianist, I want to talk about the mental health effects of playing the piano. But on the flip side, you know, being a performing as a classical pianist and how that can, you know, the pros and cons of that. Are you able to speak on that?
1: I mean, I almost had an anxiety breakdown just an hour before I came onto this podcast. So it's hard for me to comment on that as a general uh, generalization about how every pianist is and how every musician is. For me, it's because I'm in charge of so many things. Yeah, and I—you already mentioned that I run a YouTube. And the reason that I do any of those YouTube stuff is more of a, from a philosophical reason, which is to bring an audience closer into classical music, but in a way that stays true to the integrity and the tradition of classical music and not being all the way to the mainstream side, whatever that means. So it's a constant struggle for me to understand how to keep the audience interested, but in a way that is true to myself, but also true to the classical values. So that's a constant source of stress for me behind camera. But also I run a charity that I founded last summer because I really want to give back to my music colleagues because I did some fundraising for frontline workers during the pandemic in the beginning. And I thought it was time to give something back to musicians around the world. I did some fundraising for musicians and i also wanted to expand my mission of bridging the gap between the audience and the music and having just the audience speak for themselves and in a way inspire each other based on their stories because when i do anything on social media and anything on youtube it's just the tiffany show you know the tiffany experience and i say that in a third person on purpose to say that it's just one person and it's just uh, my perspective. And I think there's so much more to do if it's not just myself, but if it's really anyone who enjoys classical music, having that kind of community is a lot more meaningful. That's another thing that gives me a lot of motivation, but also the stress of putting it all together and learning how to start up a charity and how to hire people and have that going while simultaneously trying to grow my career on the piano. And of course, with the pandemic, it's adding a lot of stress. And I'm sure others have a lot more stress than I do, because again, I'm very privileged to have the patron patrons supporting me. So I don't have to worry about the financials, but it is still a worry because it can go up and down each month. So yeah. at least I have a river over my head and now I have this beautiful piano behind me. Thanks to the support of my audience watching my videos, I have it on loan and that's something that is crazy privileged of me to have and it's not fair. So yeah, just trying to give back, but also understanding what my limits are, but also at the same time feeling guilty that I shouldn't be stressful or stressed out about things and people getting mad at me for being stressed out. So then I don't share that. And then so it's like a constant battle with me to understand how to go forward and yeah, be inspiring and be whatever it is for people while at the same time staying sane behind the camera.
0: Yeah, that that sounds frustrating. But that's very specific to me.
1: It's just because I'm a very complicated (laughs) person i'm not exactly just a person who plays piano it's a lot of things that i care about and my hope is that anything i say on the internet or do is to have some sort of motivation for others and that's why i have that slogan be kind keep striving it's about like i said (laughs) for (laughs) quite some time here now that it's all of it it's very psychological and it's uh half the game is won by how you set your mind. So it's a lot. But it's also not a lot. But it is a lot. But it's not a lot. So it's a constant debate within myself.
0: Well, I mean, whatever you feel from everything that you do, it's definitely understandable. So thanks for touching on that. I think mental health is like a really important topic. And I do like to tie it into any topic that I do on this initiative because of how important it is. And yeah, talking about it is good to just bring awareness. But obviously, there's more that needs to be done. But I just like this, you know, on the podcast side of things, I think it's good to talk about it and connect it when when applicable. Okay, the last thing I want to talk about before concluding this up is on one of your recent videos with Shimon. you were talking about something you say a lot is to keep striving. I guess it's your... What, what's the word I'm looking for? It's your... um Moto? Moto, yeah. Mo, yeah, yeah, motto. So, um, and, and I, I think you the model. said, it was really well said, why keeps driving when there's someone that's maybe better than you at what you're striving for. And for people that haven't watched that video, can you just briefly like touch on why that is? Because I don't want to say it because I think you'd be able to say it better than me. And I I think it was like a really good reminder, not just for playing, but for like everything. We're all trying to get better at something. We all have passions and it can be intimidating when other people are better than us. So like, why do we keep doing it?
1: I believe it was the philosopher Rousseau who said comparison was was the evil something of that he said it much more elegantly but basically I was inspired to make that post because I had gotten a direct message from someone asking me specifically you know why keep striving if you're never going to be as good as someone else and I thought of it in relation to analogy to human relationships and friendships you know the point of you playing music and pursuing music is because you enjoy the music, I hope. I mean, there's, of course, lots of people who get into music because their parents tell them to and force them to, and I was lucky to not be in that kind of scenario, but it's something that you choose to continue on. You play the music because you love it, so you invest time in it because you love it. At least that's my hope. And it's the same thing with friendship. You know, you can be friends with someone, but are you going to stop being friends with them because you think you're not going to be as good of a friend as someone else is to them? I hope not. Yeah. So I did it. I set the analogy in a much better way in the caption, but uh, that's the kind of sentiment. I mean, yeah, maybe someone makes better cookies. And yes, we're back to cookies. (laughs) Or maybe someone has uh, more money to give better gifts to your friend. But are you going to stop being their friend because of that comparison? You know, that's not the point of you being friends with them. And that shouldn't be the reason that you are friends with them. It's because you can be better than their other friends. It's because you like them, you love them. And that's why you are friends with them. And you invest time and energy into the friendship and the relationship. So I think it's the same with music. It's not that you stop Play music because someone else plays it better than you, or whatever that means. Because at the end of the day, it's the music itself that motivates you to keep on playing yeah. because you love the music.
0: Yeah, super well said. Thank Not you. really. I said yeah. it much better. Than no, the I think I think I think it, I think it was. I, I think anyone who's listening will understand. And if they don't, I'll have I'll I'll be directing this to your YouTube channel, and they'll be able to.
1: I mean, I think it's easier to understand a lot of things in terms of human interactions and relationships whether that be your human relationship to food or to cookies i mean the the caption to the photo is of cookies so yeah i thought that was a more easy way and that's why i do any of the vlogs on youtube it's to bring that human element back because a lot of people can't think of classical music as just classical music in its grandeur Uh, chandelier fanciness but you know it's also human relationship to a form of art and if i can do something to bring that human element back that is uh what i try to do
0: yeah and i mean the way you go about it it's very unique and and powerful and it's one of the reasons why i asked you to come on here
1: when you edit you might think oh i should have chosen someone else who could give us clear answers on questions
0: no (laughs) No, I'm, i'm i'm so happy you came on don't don't worry don't worry about that okay all right. Before you conclude, the other piano anime I wanted to mention was uh, Your Lie in April. For anyone listening, even Tiffany, you know, you ever want to watch some anime, *Force of Piano* and *Your Lie in April*? They're really good, and like they're really sweet, and I think you would enjoy them a lot.
1: I know it's the source of everyone's introduction. I think I watched a few clips, but I'm just not into uh, anime. Sorry. No, to all no, anime no, it's fans, okay, it's okay. okay. Well, I, I'm sure someone
0: listening might check it out. It. What do you say?
1: I'm sure they probably know it. (laughs) I I know there was a lot of comparison with the Moonlight Sonata. People were like, "Oh, that's her," or "No, that's not her." And um, with the also the uh, Lipa slide,
0: Mm, Uh, so
1: it's great if that's a way for people to get introduced into uh, the music in a organic way. So
0: yeah, definitely did help me. It like the Chopin Ballad Number One. It's on Your Line April at, at the end, and it made me super into that piece among other pieces in some of those animes but anyways
1: do you think of the characters the pieces
0: actually a little bit i think that the cool thing about anime is the personalities behind them and like the passion they have is like super relatable and it helps me have a further drive in my own endeavors i was telling you about that one uh character who plays purely from passion like he has this piano and a forest and he plays for no one he plays for himself and it transfers to you know the whole show it, it is about like how he's playing just for himself. It's really cool. And I try to think of that when I'm playing. So among, among like, you know, other examples throughout the show. But yeah, actually my, my brother started playing the violin recently. So I'm, I was telling him when you do like love sorrow.
1: That would be but cute if you, if you yeah, did. It, su- yeah,
0: super, super <laughs> cute. <laughs> okay. Uh, what I like to do with every speaker is to kind of open the floor to them. You know, I don't want this conversation or what I hope to be conversations to be limited to like what I'm asking and what you're answering. So is there anything that you want to mention for listeners? Like, can we relate to piano? It doesn't have to be just literally anything that you just want to talk about or, or mention. I
1: feel like I've said so many things and I feel like I've talked too much. <laughs> so I don't know if uh, there's anything else I would like to add aside from being in control, take responsibility and follow your, follow your passion, but <laughs> keep striving. I, I don't know. I feel like I've said everything that I would say. Thanks for the opportunity to come on and ramble for...
0: For sure. No, it, It's been a blast. And then moving on to like the call to action that I have every speaker have. What is your kind of call to action to every listener?
1: Come to my charity's YouTube channel to get with Classical because you will hear a lot of different kinds of experiences from people that are super famous and also people who are j- probably just like you as uh, students learning the instrument. So... Check it out if you would like to hear more variety of perspectives on music, classical music.
0: Cool. And I'll make sure to link that in, in my Instagram and, and everything so it's easier for people to access. And then second to lastly here, so this is the podcast podcast. Component of the initiative, also dubbed conversation aspect of it. So I also have the charity aspect, which is a shirt I sell, and every shirt is five dollars are donated to an organization picked by the guest speaker. So Tiffany, do you want to talk about what organization you're picking, where the shirt proceeds will go to?
1: Yeah, I mean I feel a bit embarrassed to be so self-serving, but I really am passionate about the mission of having everyone inspire each other in just their stories. Their Love for classical music, so that's why I founded Together Classical, and we are about to relaunch and do much more than what we have done before, which is just fundraising for musicians as a Mm go-between charity. And recently, we got the tax exemption status, which is exciting. So that unlocks a lot of resources. Thanks, a lot of resources for us as a proper nonprofit to really develop further, and with the goal of giving others more opportunities to experience classical music, whether it be tickets or opportunities to just listen and be inspired by others' stories. So
0: thank you. And (laughs) and I I don't think it's self-serving at all. You know, I actually like that the donations are being sent to something that you're in charge of, because there's a reason why I asked you to come on here. And, you know, donations that are being sent to something that you're in charge of, I mean it reflects like the character that you are. So I feel like there's a lot of organizations and nonprofits that you don't really know like what's going on with the money that you're sending. So I highly value that this is being sent to something kinda of you're in charge of. So I don't think it's self-serving at all. Thank you. And and then so thanks finally, for trusting me. Yeah, 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 of course. And so finally, like where can people find more about you? Obviously link. To whatever capacity I can link this Spotify and you know where I publish this podcast, um, your information. But if you just want to, like verbally talk about where people can find you, that'd be great.
1: They can find me somewhere in the New York State,
0: or like uh, like, <laughs> uh, like uh, I, I guess YouTube and, and Instagram.
1: I know what you're trying to look for, oh. but I just feel like if someone is really curious, they can just Google me and they will find everything. Okay, actually,
0: that's a really good go point. Go to
1: whichever. I, feel like. I,
0: I, so I actually really like that. <laughs> Yeah, I, that's actually a really good point. Okay. So, thank you so much <laughs> Tiffany for for coming on. Like I said, this is um this is a really big deal for the initiative and it's really you know, a huge honor for you to come on. But yeah, thank you so much. Thank you.